Hi friends, this is a podcast about belief, healing, and humanity. What makes us who we are? What makes the world tick? And how can we leave it a little bit better than how we found it? This isn't a how-to guide, even though the title suggests it. How to be human is about finding hope in our stories, being better listeners and agents for change. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. This is How to Be Human. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today for How to Be Human. Today, we're going to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart and to my guest heart. We're going to talk about home and what that means. And for a lot of us, home can be like a nostalgic word that brings a lot of feelings of really great meals we had or really terrible meals that we had. And it's like one or the other. It's good or it's not so pleasant. For a lot of queer people, home can mean um, a lot of negative emotions. It can mean being ostracized out of your home, literally and figuratively. It could mean not being allowed in a church where you want to be. It can have a lot of negative emotion and connotation. So we're going to talk a lot today about how do we reclaim that word home uh, in our bodies, in our churches, in our faith, and just for ourselves personally. So my guest is Kelly Ravenscraft, and she is currently a first year, first semester, I believe I have that right, in seminary, um, and trying to create a really amazing project that I'm really thrilled for her to join me on and talk about. So I will kick it off with you. Kelly, thanks so much for being here today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about this project and also just what is home. I think it can be such a big question. I am, yes, like you said, I'm in my first year of my MDiv and I'm doing an emphasis on LGBTQ studies. I am also home still in Chicago, which I have been in for the last six years and it is near and dear to my heart. And home has become kind of a thing where it's been hard to make, but worth it in the process. I have been able to create home, especially in the transition from undergrad into graduate uh, school with some close people, some really amazing church communities that I've been a part of since starting this next chapter in my life. I am currently a resident at Urban Village Church, and I'm learning the ins and outs of what goes into ministry there, and then also kind of jumping off into this next project. And I just want to say that we had a pre-conversation about this episode and I learned a lot about your life and the reason why you're leaning into this next project, which I totally want us to get into. But I'd love to, to hear about your experience in undergrad that has brought you to where you are right now in the question of what is home within the context of church. Uh, could you share a little bit about that experience? Definitely. So I grew up in a church, very white evangelical background. Um, and throughout the, my last years of high school, jumping into college, I was really struggling with my faith. There's also some things in my life that were causing me to question it, were causing me to feel maybe uncomfortable with both my faith and the church. But going into college, uh, my dad really encouraged me to find a church home, whatever that meant for me. And so I got involved with a college ministry called Agape and Ecclesia which mm -hmm. is an interdenominational group that meets on campus, both as a small group, as a, a worship service, um, and just an, as a space for students to explore their faith. Uh, we come from such a variety of backgrounds, which I've always loved having um, a church home that represents a lot of different styles and aspects of faith. And it was through these four years that I started to meet people my age who were struggling with faith or were also really strong in it. And I was like, how, how do you do that? You are what, 18, 19, and you look like you have it all together as far as your relationship with faith. And I met some really amazing people through that. I also met some people that I wanted to be friends with so badly, but was also terrified of them because they reminded me of me in some senses. Uh, coming into college was the first time that I really started to wrestle with my identity as someone who um, professed Christianity, but also could tell that uh, my sexuality was something that the church has said would not be welcome there, at least in the church background that I grew up in. And so when I saw people who were actively participating in their faith, but were also super proud of their identity, whether that was um, 
in the LGBTQ spectrum or other parts of their identity, that terrified me. And I ran away from being their friends until after they even graduated because I didn't feel comfortable with seeing people um, and being around people that did it so well and looked like they had it together uh, because I had been told so many times that those two things, my sexuality and my faith, would never be able to operate in the same person. What? So I, I want to hone in on that for a second. You say that you're, you're terrified of these people at this point in your life. Tell me more about exactly why. Are you terrified because you've been told that those two things can't mix together? Or are you terrified because you like really desire to like know what that feels like to be associated? I think it was the latter. Yeah, I think it was in my mind, it was and what I was telling myself is, oh, I'm afraid of it, because I've been told these things that they couldn't be allowed. But really beneath it was this desire to be in the same space that they were, to have reconciled it within myself, to fully love my gay self and to fully love my person of faith and to have those things not be mutually exclusive. And these people that I had met, these people that I knew who were also standing up against campus ministry that was and still is struggling with being an affirming space for people who are identify as LGBTQ. They they seemed to have this sense that they knew what God was saying about them, and they had been able to put aside what people were saying about them. And that was something that I hadn't gotten to yet. I was still struggling with reconciling it, just me and God, um, before I could even get to the part where I could reconcile it, me and my church home, me and my people. Yeah, I resonate with that a lot because when I first started going to school, it, this has nothing to do with actual faith. This is just reconciling the fact that I was um, queer and acknowledging that within my body. And I had some friends of mine who were just telling me like, hey, like, I think that you need to like take a look at this. And I wanted to be friends with them. Like I really wanted to be friends with them, but I would only hang out with them in certain circumstances. And I would make sure that I was very separated from them to the point where I, you know, had a conversation with my now best friend who was like, why won't you like have a meal with us? And um, I had to explain, you know, because I don't want to be like you. Um, And it was one of the most difficult conversations I've Mm -hmm. ever had with an individual because I realized how like painful my words were for my friend Mm -hmm. and then how painful it was for me to like deny myself. And um, that conversation ended with a meal. And uh, I haven't really looked back from that. So I just, I wanted to hear um, from you what, what that, what being terrified meant in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. um, Eventually, thankfully. And I mean, what that looked like was a literal, like, I couldn't even say hi to them because I was worried about the fact that they would be really nice and that I would want to be friends with them. I was like, oh, no. And I am a social butterfly. I would make rounds every single time we would meet up for our like small group nights or our worship services. You would literally watch as I went from person to person saying hi, welcoming them in being really excited that they were there. And yet I couldn't get myself to talk to these people who I knew we shared this common life experience. And it wasn't until probably, well, really what happened was um, they ended up living above us. So my junior and senior year of college, I lived with five other girls who were part of that campus ministry. And we became kind of like an intentional community, which I'll I'll touch on later. Um, But the people that I was talking about earlier, who um, they're actually two of them were a couple that were within our campus ministry. They lived two floors above us. And so I began to, you know, get to know them. I was still really shy, really scared of, oh, no, but like, what if I really do want to be friends with them? What if? Like this all comes together and it's beautiful. I was so scared of it actually being good. And I remember very distinctly, there's one particular night that I was just up there hanging out with them. And one of them looked me directly in the eyes and just asked, Kelly, are you gay? Mm. And I said, no, I ran away, literally, literally downstairs. I was say, did you really run? <laughs> literally, literally ran away. Like maybe said one more sentence to them. And then it was like, oh, gotta go. Good night. Ran downstairs, like ran into one of my roommates, told her everything that had happened. And she's like, well, are you? And I just 
screamed like, I don't know, and just ran into my room. And I think at that point, I started to pick up on the fact that, okay, this is all coming together. Obviously, there's something behind this that I'm not dealing with. And that kind of started a longer and continued a longer process of me crying out to God. Mm. So many sleepless nights of just asking God, is this of you? If it's not, it's fine. I just want to hear from you. Like if this is really bad, I'll turn away. But every single time, just like me in my room, pitch black and God just saying, I love you. I love this part of you. I made you. And that was it every single time. And so I eventually really began began to be friends with these people uh, because I was curious at that point. I wanted to know how they did it, how they took years to figure it out within themselves, how they found church homes and homes of people that were accepting of both of these things that for so long I had been taught can never exist uh, together. And from there have just continued to grow, not only in my faith, as I've been able to reconcile and see the beauty of what happens when we do that, um, to see that I have been affirmed by God, I've been affirmed by Um, this new community of people that I've been able to build up over the past couple of years, but also just affirmed in myself of this, this feeling of finally coming home and coming out to myself was a really big part of my journey and one that I'm still on. Uh, I love hearing, (laughs) I love hearing queer people tell uh, the moment of epiphany for them, the moment when they know in their minds and their spirits and their hearts, like God's told me the truth here and like the freedom that washes over. And then the immediate work that comes after that, we're always going to be deconstructing and reconstructing what our home and ourselves looks like and what our home with God looks like. And, and in a way we're always forced into being defensive, I suppose, by humanity if we choose to be. But it's really lovely to like retell that story sometimes out loud to other people and to yourself to be like, no, I remember that moment, like that first moment where I really came home and and I've felt everything just connect together. Thanks for saying that. Thanks for sharing that. It always is super emotional to listen to people tell it. So I appreciate you doing so. For you, where does that leave you now? Where has that taken you now? You're doing a lot of really wonderful work. Mm-hmm. Um, but tell me, tell me about that. Yeah. Um, so I have been really thankful to find places that are affirming. Um, Chicago does have many affirming churches. And coming into seminary, I knew that I wanted to jump directly from undergrad into my MDiv, which is both fantastic and nerve-wracking and challenging all at the same time. I knew that I also wanted to get involved with the church community right away. Outside of that college ministry that I had been a part of, I really hadn't had a lot of church communities uh, that I had really connected with growing up mm. or really felt at peace with. And I I also knew as someone who's really young, who's getting into ministry, I don't have as much life experience as maybe some people who are doing the degree alongside me. So I was looking into different churches in the Chicago area that I could become a resident pastor at and just learn from the people who are leading it, the way that they do the things that they're doing. And I probably reached out to 11 or 12 churches and I heard nothing for the longest time. I had had a plan back in May when I graduated, was going to be going to a different seminary, had a a full-time job lined up Mm. at a different church, um, was going to be moving right away. It was just a lot of things. And then finally, after a couple months of just hearing nothing, I reached out to this church that I kind of knew from the beginning that this is going to be where I ended up, but again, was a little terrified and kind of ran away from it. It's almost like I have the same tendencies across all aspects of my life. But then finally, God is like, all right, here's the push that you do. At this church called Urban Village has been doing a lot of really fantastic work around inclusion and anti-racism, which have become two of what I would say are my like stakes in the ground that hold down the tent that is myself. And I have been able to be involved in a bunch of different aspects of the ministry and at the same time have begun to discern and really hear my call from God and what that looks like in the near future and then the farther future. And one thing that I love about Urban Village is that it 
does what it says it does. It shows up for people. It creates Jesus-loving, inclusive communities. Make sure that we're showing up in unconventional ways and creating unconventional spaces for people to reconnect with faith in ways that they have not been provided the opportunity to do so before. With this, along with my background in having some intentional community that I lived in the last couple of years of undergrad, along with my call with LGBTQ inclusion in the church, I have kind of come to a point where this is really the only way forward for me and where I see both my gifts and my talents and passions aligning with a need in the community, along with what God has placed on my life. And that is this dream that has come together so far called the Hesed House. And it's still in its early stages, and there's a lot more work to go into it. But it's something I'm so excited about, and I think it's going to be continuing to create this unconventional community that I've gotten to both be a part of and hope to create for other people. So the seed was planted in this community that you had in undergrad, where you lived with these five other women, and you were kind of just immersed in ministry with them and immersed in living with them and growing and learning and having like the growing pains of doing all that together. And from my understanding in our previous conversation, you were just, you wanted to see how you could cultivate that in a different environment where you are presently. Um, Tell me about the vision and the dreaming process for the Hesed House. For sure. So there was one particular night that I can remember, and I have always felt the presence of the Holy Spirit very tangibly. It's felt for me in a variety of ways. And I was just having some time with God, and it had been quite a while since I'd had some really intentional time that I just got to sit and be with God. And I just had this feeling come over me. And honestly, mm. some nonstop shaking um, as this this vision of what home and church could look like. And I literally grabbed my computer and just began typing this long, multi-page document of all these visions and ideas that were coming into my head. The, the idea behind the word hesed is this unending, continuing kindness, this unending love, this full love that is overflowing. I think that would be the ultimate idea of home. One of my biggest goals in life is to make people feel both seen and loved. Hmm. I think oftentimes we jump into that last part. We try and look at some practical ways of how we can make people feel loved. But often the first step for me is how do we make people feel seen Mm. and not just me looking at you and seeing what your body looks like or um, the different parts of you, but really stopping and not ignoring any part of who they are, not ignoring any parts of their identity, of being an open space for them to feel comfortable with letting even the most vulnerable, vulnerable places of us come out into the open. And so I wanted to create a space that that could happen. And having grown so much in the two years that I was a part of this intentional community, this intentional home, I was hoping to find a way that I could recreate that for other people, um, especially for queer people who home has been really hard or we've had a lot of different experiences that have redefined and created a very tumultuous idea of what home is. Right. So kind of to give y'all some framework of what I'm working off of, we were a part of an intentional community called The Lighthouse. And we termed that very specifically because we wanted to be a place where we know that we are not the ones who can do the saving or the fixing. That is not necessarily my role. But what we can do is to be a light that will hopefully guide people into a place where they can feel completely seen and fully loved. And we operated in a bunch of different capacities. We hosted some prayer nights, some worship nights, where it's just a lot of spontaneous, very spirit-led worship and prayer over each other. We were hosting constant events. Um, and I love that having people come in and out of our house. We had different meals with people. We shared so many moments over our table. Um, we also were a safe place of if people could not be alone or needed us to take something for them or just to, to be there with them. We always made sure that we could provide that. 
Um, and that was the beauty of having multiple of us in the house who are all pouring into different aspects of our student ministry, uh, but then also had outside communities as well. So it wasn't just primarily operating for our Agape and Ecclesia community. It operated for a lot of different people. It was for everyone. Yes, absolutely. As it should be, as I think the church should be. Right. But it was kind of that model of we created our, our tight knit the six of us, we did a lot of work. It was not easy. Putting six people in one home is never going to be easy. Putting 10 people, 50 people in one home is never going to be easy. But it is absolutely worth it when you're all willing to push and challenge each other and grow together. Um, and so from this framework of having people that I was living with, that I was worshiping alongside, that I was sharing meals with, that I was sharing vulnerable moments of my life with, I came out of that experience into kind of a, a midpoint of I'm in an apartment now with some people which have been fantastic people, but does not provide that same level of home for me. Um, and so I would love to, and now that I've kind of experienced it, it's hard to imagine life done any, any way else. Um, but I'd love to recreate that and also challenge it and make it better, uh, especially for queer people, queer people of faith, and to, to share home together. I, I like am envious of this experience that you had because it sounds so dreamy. Um, and, I, and a part of me feels like it's just not tangible, but I know that it is. I am having a hard time right now in Atlanta finding a, a church that that really fills me up in a way that I feel like I want home to fill me up. And I was having a conversation with my partner about it and I was naming the place that I was going to and naming the things. And she was like, well, you just don't, you don't know that it doesn't exist because you haven't gone to all spaces and also you can just make it. Mm -hmm. And, and, (laughs) and I said, okay, (laughs) Uh, sure. I'll just make that. um, Just casually. It's fine. But it, but it really is. I mean, church doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a physical building with the stained glass and the quintessential picture that we have been kind of given at birth. Like church is a place that has an altar. Church is a place where you can be baptized, sprinkled, whatever, you know, denomination practice like that's church. And, and you have to go there in order to have an, an experience. And that simply isn't true. I think that isn't true. Um, what so the house concept um, for me is a really beautiful thing um, because you're not just doing um, sermons together; you're doing living together, and you're doing um, services within the community together in a really unique way. What what has like, the visioning process been like for you, and and the and the ultimate dream for the fruition of this? Yeah, and I think the often I've had some moments where I get bogged down in the practicality of it and it it's hard to make this happen it has to be often by some sort of miracle um, because I I don't think it necessarily comes easy for people and there are definitely some challenges um, I love you couldn't see but I was nodding my head very emphatically as you were speaking um, <laughs> even the word for church ecclesia it never, referred to a physical place or building. It only referred to a grouping of people that were coming together. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about that word. And I think it's so true. We we can't get stuck only creating churches in the buildings that they're supposed to be in or the ways that we're supposed to do it. I think there's so many more ways to experience God and to experience community together than even some of the ways that we've been exposed to. And I think that's hopefully the beauty behind Pested House the ultimate dream, which as a seven on the Enneagram, which is a intense enthusiast and dreamer, um, that is where the vision comes in. And I think the ultimate dream is to have a house, wherever that may be, that there are eight to 10, however many people that feels comfortable, feels right, living together, doing life together, um, having a couple people who are, are really dedicated to the house, to putting together some of the worship ex- worship nights, worship experiences, who are dedicated to teaching, who are dedicated to 
conflict management and making sure that it's a healthy environment for the people who are in it. But then also having people in the house who aren't necessarily even in ministry, but they want to live in this community. And people who are going out and about, who have other full-time jobs, uh, but are still committed to being in community together. Um, I have a whole document of like levels of involvement, what the week to week schedule would be like. Um, And a lot of that is also really fluid. I think it's going to depend on who ends up in that household, but I would love for it to just be known, especially in the community that we end up in, whatever neighborhood or place we we do end up in as a safe space, um, especially for queer bodies, especially for people who have felt um, any aspect of church trauma, who walking into a church building is difficult um, and anxiety ridden um, to have a place where we're doing church more than just a Sunday service that it looks like Tuesday night worship nights where it's just really organic. I think organic is a good word for the hope for this community. I think it also looks like being committed to our values, something that uh, me and the couple of folks who are trying to put this together is paying attention to how um, white institutional values are informing our decisions and striving to push back against that. Um, I think Several of us come from environments that have been really influenced by those. And the reality is that it's not going to be a comfortable home for everyone. And so how do we push back against that? Name more of that um, for folks who may be confused by that sentiment or don't understand what that looks like. Could you maybe give an example? Definitely. Um, I think it looks like how our decision making is done. Um, I think also a lot of churches that are informed by white institutional values uh, focus more on the individual rather than the collective. Um, They also operate Mm -hmm. thinking more about what we don't have rather than looking at the abundance of what we do have through people, through their talents. I've caught myself a couple times in this process living into these like white institutional values when I'm thinking about, oh, like this is what we don't have. This is where we maybe will need people to fill in the gaps when really I was trying to do it as an individual um, and wasn't really looking into what it meant to include other people in the process and to look at the abundance of gifts and talents and resources that we do have if we're able to put in the work and do that. Mm. Um, Thank you. And like also, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, Another one is like either or thinking versus both. And Uh, I think this is a big one for, and probably one of the, the pillars of what it looks like to draw that line between walking away from white institutional values and living into um, more inclusive values is when we get to either or thinking, that's like, Okay, it has to be done this way or it just can't be done at all. Mm. And both and thinking strives to look at, okay, yes, this is our reality, but how can we incorporate that? And maybe this, how can we incorporate faith experiences that might look like having, you know, spontaneous worship that looks a certain way, but then how can we also represent other areas and aspects of worship um, rather than being like, well, we're just going to commit to this one way of doing things and it can never be any, any other way. Y'all, there are too many churches that get into that mindset of, well, if they don't like it, they can just find another church home. And that, oh, it's, oh, it's so, so divisive, so terrifying to think that that's um, <sighs> yeah. what some churches kind of stand by. But And absolutely painful. Yes. Painful to hear, hear that sentiment. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we are instructed that we carry, well, I mean, we carry unique gifts. And so together, like that's an abundance of things and what you're lacking, like you still have in the room. Um, and yeah, I'm really grateful that, that I a, thought to ask for you to explain that more in depth. And I hope that, um, that that's given some aha moments for people listening. It's so hard to negate that automatic reaction of the either or, yeah, like the either we do it this way or we don't, or, um, yeah, the lack versus abundance thinking is I, that I feel that on so many levels. <laughs> I, I do that. Like in, in work that I currently do within LGBTQT inclusion, especially within like strategic organizing, um, I'm very quick to like name what we don't have. Um, 
and graciously so I have people who will who will nudge me and saying but look at what we do and sometimes I can do that too but it's a constant journey to call that out in ourselves and each other uh, so what a beautiful thing that you're doing that with a group of people on your and that you're really intentionally thinking about taking the white institutional component of church out um yeah that's so needed yeah definitely and I again like I've caught myself in those same places and that's been challenging but also so good moving forward of we can't expect other people to move past those sentiments move past the idea of church if we're not doing it in ourselves if we're not doing it in the way that we lead it's been definitely a huge part of it I think the other part of it too is uh, paying attention to like you said church trauma um, and how that affects our space that affects everything from what it looks like to how it feels um there's such a variety of how church trauma can take effect and where it comes from. And so both being able to name it and then learning how to be well-equipped for a diverse set of needs in this home. Um, I wish that we could say we're going to be absolutely equipped for anyone who comes into the space. And unfortunately, that's not a reality. But I think one thing that we're committed to in continuing this process is learning Um and it's to take the time to really listen and to really see people, mm-hmm. like I was saying earlier, um, for all that they are and to not say, well, we can provide for these parts of yourself, but we're not going to provide or we don't have the ability to provide for this part of you. But um, I think really home looks like being able to let down your walls and home looks like having people around you who are going to go with you on that journey. Um, because healing for me is not done. Healing for a lot of people mm-hmm. is not done. And so having some really honest conversations about what it's going to take to provide that kind of space uh, have been, again, hard, but really good. Yeah, it's a conversation I have a lot because spiritual trauma for me is something vocationally I'm looking at and what do I do with that? But so, you know, naming naming the uncomfortable and then being willing to sit in the uncomfortable even if you don't understand it yet, but like naming that and then doing the work to figure that out and discern it together. Right. Um, yeah. is is so important. Um, I, I would rather someone be transparent and honest than, than paint a picture of perfection, which isn't a reality. No one is going to be perfect period. Um, yeah. So you just had an event recently mm-hmm. where you had worship uh, in a gay bar which I think is along the lines of taking into consideration church trauma and meeting people where they are and, you know, God being in all spaces, including a gay bar. How, how did that go? Tell me about that event. I haven't actually heard yet. So I'm really thrilled to, to hear the experiences there and, and the feedback you got and maybe the motivation to keep asking these really big questions. Definitely. Yeah. This year, I think just in general, I've been on mission to, both find and create church in unconventional places. And I've found it and also helped create it in convention centers and classrooms and theaters and so many more places. But one thing I have gotten the opportunity is to have more people who are um, in ministry, who are also queer, um, and just getting the time to brainstorm with them about, okay, how do we... How do we live into these values of recognizing that people have some church trauma, recognizing that um, we are all still the beloved, that we also want and desire to have spaces where we can come together and worship collectively. And through some of those conversations with um, one of them in particular, we came to this conclusion that, you know, what's home been for a lot of queer folks? And that is gay bars. They have existed in so many different forms over the years, but for a lot of people, that has been a home space. And so we really were like, what would it look like to bring worship into that space and to challenge everyone's opinion of what that could be, what that would look like? And everything came together so well. Like I... It can really only be the spirit because the way that people were able to give their gifts and their talents to help us out with it, the way that 
the bar that we worked with just donated the space to us the way that people showed up and were so excited about the opportunity to do this was amazing. We, in getting ready for it, my friend and I basically had said, you know, if if one person outside of us shows up and they're blessed by it and they feel God in a new way mm. and in a way that feels comfortable and, and safe, like we, that's all we could ask for. Um, another thing we were like, you know what? We really want the bartender to feel loved. Like this bartender is giving up all of his time for us. Like it's not asking to be paid. Like we just want him to feel really loved by the end of this experience. We show up and I have never worshipped so close to a pole in my entire life. Um, it was beautiful. We were expecting someone to get up on it the whole the whole night. It didn't happen, unfortunately, but maybe next time. <laughs> but oh, when I tell you that the Holy Spirit was just so present in that room as I looked out and saw other queer people like feeling completely comfortable in worship in reclaiming these worship songs that maybe they grew up with or sang in really unsafe spaces um, and to have that experience of singing these songs to God um, and just being in community and with each other uh, like I, I can't even describe the feeling of what that was at one point we broke into some spontaneous worship that had just kind of come out of some of the stories that had been shared that night um, from different people who were leading worship and from some of the songs that we were singing. And really all that it was is just saying, we're fully loved, we're fully known, and we're fully found. And it was just a beautiful moment of, I think, people beginning to believe that about themselves. Um, and we just stayed there in that moment and it felt like, it could have lasted forever um, because it just mm. felt, again, like coming home to ourselves with our faith all in the same space. And I got so much feedback from people afterwards of just coming up to us and thanking us for creating that kind of space. You could see it in people's eyes that it was needed, that they needed to be pushed outside of the, of the conventional. and have a space that allowed them to operate as their full selves. A lot of them do attend affirming churches, but again, they, they look like church. They feel like church as far as how we have defined that uh, over the years. I received a text from a friend of mine who goes to the church and they just said, like, thank you for making this space. I have been really struggling with my sexuality over the past couple of weeks and this is the first time that I felt like God saw me and my sexuality and called it good mm. and also just affirmed like they're like I I feel like I heard directly from God like this is the work that you're supposed to be doing um and you're doing it well and you're you're creating home for people and at that point I just broke I'm an emotional wreck it's fine but just again, like that was the thing. And we talked to the bartender afterwards and he had been taking like videos the whole time and was just so excited about it. Um, and was like, I can't wait till y'all are back. And like, he's like, I was just so blessed by this. And we're like, all right, like, cool. Like that's, that's all we asked for. Right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was a beautiful event. We're going to continue doing them. Um, I think that's part of redefining home. And what was cool about it is we the two of us who really created this event together belong to different church homes. And so we brought together those communities who are doing similar work across the city mm. of Chicago. Even though we don't usually interact, this is an awesome place to do that. And to come and come together around LGBTQ inclusion in the church, something we hope to continue doing. I hope that it's, it's uh, stable and continues to be a space for people. Um, also gave me a lot of vision of this idea of Hesed House. There, I feel like there's going to be some really good energy behind it because I think it it does fill yeah. a need. Um, there are definitely challenges. The physical space, I think, is actually the hardest part about it, is finding the space that will welcome many people into it, um, having like solid leadership of people who 
are authentic and can be vulnerable um, and are completely committed to the idea of being a, a house church, being a home. Um, but at the same time, I've, I've seen God's provision show up in so many different spaces that um, much as it's going to be a challenge, right. I feel like it's, it's going to happen. I'm going to be like sitting on the edge of my seat <laughs> and, and, and praying and checking in and, and hoping great things for you and the people that you're dreaming this with. Um, it's, it's amazing to have God show up and confirm. Yeah. I totally want you to do this and it's totally a need. And look at all these people who came from point A and point B together. I, I want to spend some time kind of in closing and in like a, a heady space or maybe a heart space. But what does home mean for you in your body? I feel like we spend a lot of time talking about physical locations. We spend a lot of time talking about, well, there's certain places that God shows up and we kind of neglect the fact that like our body is the divine our body is a temple. Our body is the church. I'm just curious to see what you think about that and and how you relate to your body right now and, and how do you feel like that's home for you? I think for LGBTQ folk especially, finding home in our bodies can be one of the toughest things. Um, and I think a lot of people have marked what our bodies are supposed to look like how they're supposed to operate, what is considered good. I think I, I can resonate with a lot of other queer folk who have not found home in their bodies um, and also have not felt like they their bodies are the divine, that they are truly the image of God. And for me, I think that's definitely a journey I'm still on. Um, but I think in the past couple of years, I, I do feel like I have had space to come home to my body. And I have dealt with so many things of whether it's insecurity or this constant feeling of I'm not enough, whether it's what my body exists as or how smart I am or what my mind can do or how tangibly I can feel God, right? Or how often I mess up. And there has been a moment that really defined what it looked like to come home to my body. And that was the day after I came out to my parents. They're some of the last people that I came out to. Um, And it was after I'd been away at a pretty homophobic camp that I worked at over the summer, um, where I had struggled to stay closeted, had struggled to um, have freedom in some senses, where I'd been out to a lot of my close friends, a lot of people that I knew. Um, but wasn't out in my workspace. And finally, after coming back from that experience and and kind of dropping this news on my parents, I was completely and utterly ready to drop all ties with my family, was ready for them to say, your body, your sexuality, everything that makes you up is not acceptable, especially coming from like a faith perspective. And was completely ready just for that to happen. Um, it didn't. It has been a difficult road for sure. Um, not come without some really heartache, uh, really heart-wrenching moments. But after after that experience, I was able to go and be with my best friend. And it was the first time that I ever let myself break. And I mean, like, fully, completely just not hold myself together not feel like I had to hold every piece of me. And there's something beautiful about allowing yourself to break. Um, I think a lot of people see it as weakness. I think a lot of our ideas of how we hold ourselves, how we hold our bodies up is that we're not allowed to break. But an image that I've always come back to is that there is a Japanese tradition called uh, kintsuji, which means that when a pot would break or when something Um, would maybe fall and crack, Uh, they would put back together these pieces of the pots with gold and would ultimately make this pot more beautiful, more worthy, more valuable in its brokenness than in its fullness. And having that space to break, to have moments where I was feeling all of the feelings, was feeling every sort of way about myself, I felt like I finally had the space to put myself back 
with gold to allow others to to call me good, to call me enough um, that there was something about the relationships that I was in, the the people around me that was affirming that me by myself, no, didn't matter what I produced, didn't matter what I created, was allowed to be real and to come home to myself um, and to come out to myself. But I've heard of that tradition and I love how you like sewed those two things together. It's a really beautiful image. As people that live in the margins, who are a portion of that population, a large population, we're really always defining what home is because we've been told no in so many places. So I think that sometimes in, in order to f- to even be able to go on a journey to, to seek what that might mean is that we have to let ourselves fall apart. And we, we have to kind of look at everything that, you know, is on the ground or in the middle of the desert where it goes and you feel very alone and isolated and, and everything is on the floor and you look down and then you look up because you want to know where to go. And, and, you know, God is, God is there in the midst of our grief. And that really is what it is. It's grief. Um, and then something really amazing is made out of grief. Um, mm-hmm. it closes out, I really just want to hear from you, you know, this quest that you're on to, to really reclaim what church can be right now in this moment, what you're feeling about that. What is your, like, what is your hope and desire for, for church to look like for the whole community? What, what do you hope for that to be? What do you feel like God's calling you to do with that? I think that there is a lot of beauty in tradition, um, but I think there's also more opportunity in the unconventional and I think God has been calling me and is calling um, hopefully some other people into that space of unconventional. And I cannot tell you how excited I am, how passionate I am about making this happen and to redefine what church can look like on the outside and what it feels like on the inside. I think there's a ton of work to be done, um, but at the same time, with such a direct call from God and such a need for unconventional right now, I am ready to stop running from or towards, I guess, home. And I know many others are as well, where we just want to have home. We want to have space to be together. When I look at what, what does church do? I think it's a space to worship collectively, to take communion, to be a part of the body and I think with the vision of the Hesed House and what it will do is both these things, um, but also to be a safe space for queer folk to break and then to build. Um, I think it's doing life together in a tangible way that pushes us towards growth, that pushes us towards having really intentional relationships with one another. Um, Something I found in a lot of churches is that we don't know how to be in relationship with one another and like what that really means like (laughs) we have no clue um and I think that's led to a lot of heartbreak I think that's led to um a lot of loneliness I think that's led to a lot of like brokenness and like if anything can be achieved through this idea of like unconventional home and church um I think it's learning how to be in relationship with one another um and then also be in relationship with God and so that's that's the vision. I mean, the tangibles, I can go on for days. If y'all want to see the giant long document of all of the vision casting that has been done, um, there's so much that goes into it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, um, it's it's reclaiming, it's rebuilding a new idea of home. Um, and I don't think that means throwing out all of the old Um, I think just like when you maybe get a cover up of an old tattoo, you don't necessarily cover it up completely. You still use the structure of the old tattoo. You still use it to help inform what step you're going into next. Um, But ultimately, you're creating a new beautiful piece that maybe further represents where you are right now. Um, And that will continue to change and grow. And I think the needs will continue to change and grow of the people who come in and out of this community. But I'm so excited to re 
reclaim, recreate um, alongside other people who just want the same thing of a safe space, of a home, of a healthy family to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Kelly, thank you so much for sharing um, some of your story, uh, the work that you're working on alongside other people, and just, you know, the broadened imagination of where God can go, where God is, and what God is doing. I'm so excited for you. And I hope for people who are listening, uh, realize that um, you can make this space your own too, where you are. Um, and find that one other person who is willing and wants to look into this and and just journey with them on that. Can you let folks know where they can find out more about you or maybe somebody in the Chicago area is listening to this right now and they want to join you alongside this journey? How can people get in touch with you? Definitely. Um, We are beginning to launch our website and um, Instagram for the Hesed House. So it'll be under Hesed House Family. Um, It's where you can find all of that. Um, You can reach out to me personally. My name is just on Instagram. It's just at Kelly Ravenscraft. But I would love to just continue this conversation with people. Um, Yeah, just to to vision cast, to brainstorm. Um, Yeah. Awesome. And I will make sure that I link all of that on this episode as as well as um, my site and Instagram. Um, Thank you so much for for making time today and for sharing what's going on in your world and what's going on and what's going to take place in Chicago and already is. I think that's incredible work you're doing. Thank you. Thanks for having me.